All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. And welcome back to part two of our disclosure scenario show today. So uh, is it going okay? Yeah, oh, it's fine. I'm having a good time. Great. Not interrupting you too much, I hope. No problem at all, man. Okay, this great. Is good. I'm having a nice time. And how much time uh, is allocated now for uh, your part? Uh, you know, um, hopefully less than another hour. Is that possible? <laughs> less than an hour, I was thinking. Is that, I don't know how much more you want. <laughs> Let, uh, let's see how much I can. You know what the, the Godfather said? Every time I try to get out, they keep pulling me back in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's my plan now. But uh, uh, another, yeah. I, I'm good for an hour. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, although we've been all over the map, it's it's been related. It's been related, and we've teased you about some issues we haven't touched fully uh, yet, and we're going to go to them. But I want to move on in your book first. Um, we have discussed some aspects of the book, mm-hmm. and I remember you were talking. I think it was you remember the old bite show. You had the, the old what show? Bite, Bite show with um, George and I think Joseph Farrell got you on that very, very early. Oh, yes, I do remember. Yeah. yeah. You had right. an excellent, um, I mean, she was the perfect host. She, she was shutting up all the time so you could just go on and on and on, not like me. Right, I did one <laughs> interview with her. That's right. Yeah. And you had some very interesting takes on this, like day one. The day everything changes. How much would you say you still would, how much of that analysis is still valid? Well, I can't remember a single thing I said to her in that interview, so. <laughs> well, but in, uh, compared to the book then. But I do think, I mean, the, the big thing that the book AD After Disclosure hypothesized was one big announcement. Hmm. That would be disclosure. And I think, you know, when I look back on it, that was a very, very big thing that my co-author Bryce Zabel and I shared, which was that when there's going to be a change to the end of UFO secrecy, that it would come out through one big announcement. You know, in America, we envision, well, the president of the United States will make this grand announcement yeah, like in the movies exactly. like, like Stephen Bassett's wet dream I, yes right so <laughs> now but what I think I, I think that is still actually quite possible mm. but one thing that I did not foresee was how in preparation to that there could be a significant let's say drip of disclosure Mm-hmm. Drip, drip, drip. One piece of information, then another piece of information. Again, the toothpaste out of the tube scenario. Like that's something that was hard for us to imagine. And that is something that actually I think at least since 2017 has arguably been happening, which is that we've had significant mini disclosures that have come out over the last three years, almost three years now, since the New York Times um, 
published a couple of articles in December of 2017 on this. So since that moment, we've really been moving at a different a different rate in all of this. And we've seen small but significant disclosures, not with the capital D, as it were, but with small d. So that, I think, is something that is a really significant development that we did not foresee, which is that there would be a, they would develop a kind of social and cultural momentum for disclosure. And I think that I don't know if that momentum is now irrever, irre, irreversible or mm. unstoppable. It could be stopped. It could definitely be stopped. But um, but it's possible that it, that it doesn't stop anytime soon. And if it continues onward with more revelations, and, and I'm told behind the scenes that there are more revelations that are that are coming, and I think it's entirely possible. One one that came out a year ago, this very month, June of 2019, had to do with a leaked document and known as the Thomas Wilson Notes by uh, Dr. Eric Davis. And it is my opinion. It was my opinion then. It's my opinion now that this constitutes a really significant leak. And it hasn't it hasn't ended the secrecy yet because all the parties involved are denying it. But there's. But has anyone heard about this? I mean, is it known? It's known in the UFO field. Uh, it caused a big ruckus, but it hasn't it has not spread to the mainstream world. And, and in short, what's, what's the gist of it? Because yeah. I, I haven't heard about it. Yeah, I'll gladly tell you. So um, yeah. it's something that I have known about since 2006 when I was shown two two pages of it. Wow. Um, yeah, and I and I talked about it over the years, um, but I just wasn't able to. Uh, I never gave up the identity of the person who showed it to me out of respect for them, and I also didn't not having a copy of it. I wasn't able to really prove anything. I just had to ask people to trust me. But essentially, it, th this is the story, and this is a true story. So back in 1997, during the uh, Bill Clinton presidency. There was a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs, was an admiral named Thomas R. Wilson. And back in 1997, UFO researcher Stephen Greer was making the rounds in Washington, D.C. He was actually trying to talk to as many politicians and military people as he could about black budget special access programs that were UFO related. And this is a very interesting thing that Greer was doing at the time. Uh, one of the people accompanying him back then was a former astronaut of Apollo 14, Edgar Mitchell, mm. uh, who I, I knew as well. So Mitchell, Greer, and other people were going through Washington, D.C., talking to people that Greer essentially could get hold of, and Greer would give a like a mini lecture to them, and, and that was essentially it. So one of them was Wilson, and so Wilson was an admiral. He was head of, uh, he was deputy head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs at that time. H hang on, hang on. Admiral means Navy, right? That's right. And Navy, aren't they uh, historically most connected to UFO cases? Well, yes, arguably. Mm, okay. Arguably, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was the situation. Now, what we know is that this briefing took place. We know that it happened. The disputed part is what happened after. But what, what did happen after is that uh, one of the people accompanying Stephen Greer was a Navy commander named Will Willard Miller. And he stayed behind to chat with Wilson afterward, the two Navy officers. And after that, Miller 
clearly spoke to Greer and he clearly spoke to Edgar Mitchell about this. And Mitchell talked about this to his group of people, essentially around a billionaire, Robert Bigelow, who was uh, at the time running the National Institute for Discovery Science, NIDS. So with people like Dr. Kit Green, Dr. Hal Puthoff, um, Dr. Eric Davis, Dr. Colm Kelleher, people like this. And, and he's the skinwalker ranch guy, right? Yes, yes, indeed. Plus one of those few oligarchs who are colonizing, uh, not colonizing, but satelliting space right now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Okay. So anyway, what happened was um, the NIDS group of people learned about Greer's meeting with Thomas Wilson. And what they also learned is that Wilson, in the aftermath of this meeting, being told about black budget programs to reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology, because that's what this was about, mm. that for from April till June of 1997, Wilson went on his own journey to find that program and found several of them. Hang on. So he was waken up by Greer and went on a sincere Correct. mission? Yes. Wow. Okay. Right. It is a wow. So, so as a result of that, he ended up meeting with one of the, one of the contractors of these types of programs. And we don't know exactly, but it is rumored to be Lockheed Martin. First thing I thought. Any, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and was uh, able to meet with them because uh, essentially they wanted to know how he learned about the program. So they met with him. He demanded to learn more about the program. And they said, well, sorry, but you're not in and you have no authorization. He says, the hell do you mean I have no authorization? I'm head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I have every right. They said, no, you have no right. And the people who denied him access were not even military people. They were the, they were the program manager. They were the security officer and the corporate attorney. They were the three. Wouldn't it be easier if they were in the military chain of command? Because then he could have pulled rank. Well, so actually he said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to complain. Uh, and they said, be our guest, go mm. <laughs> do whatever you want to do. Uh, and he did, and he was threatened with his career. Jeez. And so he learned to, to be a team player. But what they did say to him was that this program is to, uh, we have an intact craft. We barely figured out anything about how it really actually works. We're trying to make it where our progress has been painstakingly slow. And he said, craft, what do you mean? Like Russian, Chinese? They're like, no, alien, extraterrestrial. So they told him that much. Now, in 2003, so six years after that, the NIDS group were able to get Dr. Eric Davis to meet privately with Wilson, who by this time was retired from government service. And Wilson agreed to meet with Davis based on Davis's credentials and um, some mutual connections that they had. And Davis sat in a uh, what appears to be in a car with Wilson for a little over an hour, where Wilson unloaded the entire story about what happened to Davis, who took 15 pages worth of notes. And it was two pages of those notes that were shown to me by one of those very people close to the scene back in 2006. And I can tell you, I wasn't the only person who was shown. Mm. 
And there are other people, and I know who they are, and they are not willing to go public. And so for now, anyway, I'm, I'm not willing to throw anyone under the bus, but that's a fact. So um, now in 20, at the end of 2018, in the meantime, Edgar Mitchell died. Mm. And his papers were a matter of, uh, well, what was going to happen to Edgar Mitchell's papers, right? So what I do know is that one person who was had been close to Edgar Mitchell was allowed by the family because they were simply apparently going to destroy a lot of these papers. Jeez. And he said, no, please, right, um, was able to leave with some of Mitchell's uh, papers relating to UFOs, relating to NIDS, relating to his interest in consciousness and the noetic sciences and so forth. And in those papers, among other things, were these 15 pages of notes that were that all of that crowd had a copy of them. Mm. So so uh, my friend researcher uh, Grant Cameron of Canada was shown this at a conference in the late part of 2018. And as Grant has said many times, like as soon as he read the first few pages of it, and this was the full 15 pages, mm. Grant said, immediately I knew this was the real deal. And indeed, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but how did he get out? So, uh, so, so Grant sat on them for several months, and there was a very small group of people that knew about these papers. And they'd shared the JPEGs and it was all very private and no one knew what to do with it. And then in the spring of 2019, one of those people, and I still don't know exactly who it was, sent them to me through a Proton Mail <laughs> link. Mm -hmm. And I almost didn't see it. Actually, my wife Tracy saw it. She was going through nice. and just by by chance, yeah. she saw it and linked and I I just said, holy shit, this is what this is what I had been shown 13 years earlier. Mm. She's so perceptive. Kudos to her for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So uh, so now it this was April of 2019 and I had the papers and I, I remember talking quite a lot with Grant Cameron about this. And we both really asked ourselves, well, what are we going to do about this? Are we are we going to let this out? And And I kept saying, well, we have to like this has to come out. Right. And Grant Grant agreed. But the problem was that neither of us wanted to be the one to do it. That's the truth. I didn't want to leave. Yeah, but, but, but for fear of repercussions or? Uh, because. Or not want to be tied to. So first of all, the person who showed me the papers is someone that, like, someone who I still respect and who I still want. Yeah, but he didn't send it to you. That is, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. So my attitude was this. I said, if these are not out within a couple of months, and I didn't give myself a, a, a timeline, but I, mm -hmm. I, I was thinking like summer of 2019. If they were not out by then, that I would, I would just do it myself. But actually, they were released. Yeah, because, because it could be more dangerous for you sitting on it than releasing it. Well, or didn't that dawn upon you? I had two months <laughs> to ponder all of that. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't too long a period of time. And then so in the beginning of June of 2019, they were released to a small select email group. And at that point, I decided that I was going to talk about this publicly. And so 
I I did a a YouTube presentation on them, and that's actually what broke the Wilson papers or Eric Davis's notes out publicly. It was in June of 2019, and it it caused a shitstorm, honestly, within the UFO field. So you had a lot of people immediately saying, "Those are fake." It's like the MJ12 documents. Oh my god! And all I could do is just roll my eyes yeah. and just think how ridiculously stupid these comments were. But there were people who were very obstinate about it. And the problem, of course, was that Wilson was certainly not going to to. Um, stand by them obviously he wouldn't and neither would eric davis just if she- but is admiral wilson still alive yes oh yes 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 oh wow. yeah and he just did recently say the whole thing is silly he just made a statement and of course uh some people are saying well that's proof that there's nothing to it i'm like what uh eric davis gave a very very convoluted no comment uh, as did hal Puttoff, a very very interestingly worded no comment that to me was a, an actual gift Mm. Uh, essentially an admission that they're real. And I'm just going to say this. uh, All of those people in the NIDS crowd, in the Bigelow crowd, as I call them, Mm. every one of them knows that those that's legitimate. Every single one of them knows it. So I'm not going to mention any of them specifically, but they all know that I know that they know. And uh, I've said this and, but they're not admitting to it because they don't want to lose their security clearances it it looks bad on them yeah, yeah. that this gets out. Yeah, because this wasn't a part of, of the sanctioned drip. But uh, this is also an example of how stuff can drip. You, you did indeed cover it. When That's you... why, yes. This is why I got into this whole uh, yeah. uh, story of it, because we're in an era where things like this can happen. Mm. And, and And by the way, the story on that document is not over. And I know that there there's a, a tremendous amount of of deep research into those documents that's being done right now and that will continue to be done. And there's also a real chance, believe it or not, of some level of mainstream attention that will be brought to it by some brave people. And whether it will happen or not is another question, but I I know that there are attempts being made. So the story isn't done. Okay, but uh, I I wouldn't uh, attack it from the uh, stupid uh, angle of, oh, they're fake, but uh, there is a weak link as you sure must know yourself. And that's that if Admiral Wilson wasn't an insider, which is obviously wasn't, right. they could have feeded him whatever that's excuse. Right. And the alien excuse is the first go-to thing, right? Yeah, all that we know, I think we can say confidently anyway, is that Wilson spoke to Davis mm. and told him this story. Uh, because when Davis wrote those notes, he was only writing to his colleagues. It was only for very, very limited consumption. It was not. Yeah, but but I mean, Wilson can be sincere, but he himself can be fed That's by correct. his so, colleagues. So let's talk yeah. about that. So what we can yeah. say is that Wilson was probably telling the truth to Davis, that he probably met with those three individuals, which we were called the gatekeepers, by the way. So the question is, were they telling him the truth? Well, we have to see a couple of things here. First of all, Thomas Wilson was is was and is a very, very intelligent man. And it's he would not be in the position he was if he were not perceptive and intelligent. Now, that doesn't mean that therefore he's infallible. But we have to recognize that this is a man who is in a position – to have some discernment of his own. And we also have to recognize, there are things in this that I didn't get into here with you. Wilson, as a way of finding this organization, 
had to do a lot of hunting around and asking a lot of other powerful people, including former Defense Secretary William Perry, who um, had done a complete reorganization of the Defense Department just a few years earlier. Uh, Wilson spoke with Perry about finding this type of group and other very powerful people. So he was led on this trail, found this group, and they agreed to meet with him. Now, what I believe happened and what Wilson appears to have believed is that they they gave him some information mainly to shut him up. Mm. Like they, they had to give him something yeah. because he was really becoming a problem. He was the true squeaky wheel in this scenario. And I, I think, you know, they, uh, according to what he had learned, this group had nearly been found out a few years earlier during a, uh, a Pentagon audit mm. of, of special access programs. And they had to, they had to tell that auditor enough as well, or the program would have been compromised. So I think what happened is that they told Wilson enough. Now, did they tell him all of the truth? This, I don't know. No one knows. They told him that this was a reverse engineering program on alien tech. They didn't mention bodies. They only mentioned technology. Mm. And they, they said to him that progress was going very slowly. That could have been a lie. Maybe progress was, was much better than slow for all we know. But, but my argument is that 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 you have the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the the next head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, that's what Wilson was, um, having this meeting at all mm. is really significant and flies in the face of everything that we've been told, yeah. uh, including today uh, about UFOs, which is, well, we don't know what these things are. They could be Russian. They could be Chinese. They could be anything, and to which I'd say bullshit You've got a program, you've got high-level discussions, highest level, really, mm. about, apparently, about reverse engineering ET tech. And, and frankly, when you take all of the evidence over the years of crash retrievals, and we're going way, way beyond just Roswell here, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of this, uh, then I think we've got a really strong uh, amount of testimony that UFO crash retrievals have taken place multiple times and that the technology is under lock and key and primarily by private contractors to the U.S. Defense Department who have really the, the true power through unacknowledged special access programs. Yeah, back to corporations. Yes, that's right. So it's a system of, I call it legal illegality. Right. There's right. very little to no oversight within the Pentagon or even the CIA. And and we should also mention the U.S. Department of Energy. From what I have learned, ah, no, so I hear the, I hear NASA is dependent only on private contractors now. Absolutely, Hoagland has been tooting about that for a long time. Ever since Obama took over, I think they privatized almost everything. Yeah, well, it's been a long-standing trend, absolutely, and it yeah. and it did go really fast under Obama. That's true. But actually, you could go even go back to George W. Bush. Yeah. Uh, a lot of privatization then, but yes, Obama, and undoubtedly. Uh, continuing with Trump, there's no question, I'm sure. But it doesn't matter if they lied or how much was spent. There's so much value to infer from this. Absolutely. Just, just even analyzing what they would say to someone in his position is interesting. Right. And, and he's, oh my God, he's number two in intelligence and it's above his degree. Right. Jesus, man. 
Right. He was he was um, yeah deputy head of intelligence at the Joint Chiefs as a position known as J two. Um, shortly after that, he became head of intelligence and head of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. So shortly after all of that, so he was very very powerful, and was yeah blown off. And they did threaten. They said, look, you'll you'll if you continue to push back on this. This was his supervisors. They said you will be forced to take an early retirement, and you may lose one or two stars along the way. Mm. So that's what scared him. Yeah, that, that's how you take down the military. Yeah, mm. right. Right. Okay. It's such an interesting story, but we have to move on for the ground yes, uh, let's do picture. It. And, and you're not an everyday guest. Right. So it, it, it kind of faces us over to what we've been teasing them we would discuss. But I would just want to say first, do you agree with me that this the deliberate drip drip is not so much because, oh, the public can't handle it. It's not a paradigm reason for it, but it's just to avoid basically indictments is a way to for the criminals to get free. Do you agree that's the main motivation? I, I, I do. Well, I, I do in theory. I would say that the drip of disclosure that we've seen in the last few years, uh, it took me a while to come to this conclusion. So it, immediately... um I had a slightly different opinion, which was that this was, I called it controlled disclosure. Mm. And by which um, I thought the elites who've got this have made, seem to have made a decision to let some of this information out because, um, well, that was the big question, why? Mm. And I, I didn't really know why, unless they felt that it was becoming a secret that was too difficult to contain and so that they would control the release of it. But that I, I changed that opinion after about six months or so, and I and I formed the opinion that I have today, which is that the drip of disclosure that we've seen is nearly 100% due to uh, the organization TTSA, to the Stars Academy, which is a private initiative. They are not a they're not an, a covert CIA operation. They are not anything. They are ex CIA people, some of them. Mm. But they're a private initiative and they've got their own motivations for doing what they do, which we can talk about. But but they have friends and they have enemies within the Pentagon structure. Mm. They, have, they have people who are supporting them and they have people who absolutely do not support them and oppose them. So they've they've negotiated a little path as best they can to get some of the information that they want out. And they've succeeded. Like Lu, Luis Elizondo, one of the members, of course, was – was able through what seems to me like a very clever, quiet uh, plan to get three of those UFO videos declassified by the U.S. Navy. And, and it was beautiful the way they did it. They kind of tricked the system. Yeah. He, he didn't make it obvious that these were UFO videos. I think mm. that was the key. Mm. And so they – and plus I think he had a couple of friends – who were sympathetic and and they made it happen. The Navy, I think, was caught off guard. Mm. A lot of the Navy establishment was caught off guard. But they released the videos to him, and then he was therefore allowed to uh, display those three, um, you know, clips. So that's that's actually what got the whole thing started. And what we've seen in the last couple of years are is a back and forth. Uh, effort that's taken place with TTSA and with the Pentagon back and forth. And yeah. uh, the Pentagon went through a series of very definite denials 
yeah. that this was legitimate, but it became obvious like they just couldn't deny it. And so now more recently in 2020, they, um, they said they released their own version of those videos. So they said, yes, it's our UAP. We don't, we don't have an explanation for it. But it's so amazing because it reached uh, the mainstream overturn window. And I'm not just talking about the fact that the corrupt establishment media like right. Washington Post, I believe, and New York, right. uh, what's it called again? But all those, but when they did it, it allowed mainstream media all over the world. Right. To comment upon it in, in our own um, country here, it where, where was in the mainstream media. And suddenly the talking heads, and I'm also referring to independent media, people who don't cover stuff like UFOs, the weirdest outlets right. were entertaining it seriously. So it's right when you say it's been a paradigm shift due to this. Right. It's now like, it's not immediately a scoffing and joke. We've taken like, maybe a meter from the skeptics you know if it's a football field right it's been uh, all the way uh, in our part of the field but now it's been shifted like one meter away one meter uh, <laughs> to you know away from the skeptics and that's a good thing if nothing else yeah i think in the grand scheme of things i'd say even more than a meter but it's okay. definitely shifted mm. uh, not all the way but it has definitely shifted and so uh, but anyway, your original question was, do I do I agree that this drip of disclosures? Well, I didn't I didn't uh, refer to TSA when I said that I meant, uh, you know, the toothpaste that they do allow out if they do. Ha right. If their scheme is to disclose this over 100 years or something, then I, I, it's just to save their own asses. It's not to. To, it's not because they don't believe we can handle it. Like I said, most, like you said. Oh yeah, well I think yeah. I mean that that's obvious. That's yeah. obvious. So the real, yeah. but the real question to me is, do do they have total control over the mm. situation? The answer is they don't. They don't have total control. That's an important point in your book too. Yeah, people have to understand, and even today you've got you have a lot of really obstinate people who when they talk about TTSA it's obvious to me that they really haven't thought this through so their assumption is that every everything in the media is totally controlled and that's actually that's mistaken it is not everything the the corporate media is is mostly controlled but it is not unified mm. and you know within the the US uh, all you have to do is look at Fox and Tucker Carlson mm. now Look, people can say what they want about mainstream media being controlled, but you've got to listen to what Carlson has done. His his contribution has been significant. Yeah, very subtle though. Right. So what he he did, he interviewed Luis Elizondo, and they actually talked about about a year ago in, on May thirty first, uh, twenty nineteen, mm. on his uh, show. There, he had Elizondo on for about five minutes, and at the very end of it, he uh, Carlson asked about crashed. Retrievals, or he said, does the U.S. government have any of these in their possession? Mm. I mean, it's an unbelievable question. And Elizondo paused, and at the very the last thing he said is yes, mm. yes. So to me, that's that's astonishing. Like just to step back, that's a breathtaking moment yeah. that is really not fully appreciated. So when people will say, "Well, everything comes out of there is controlled," no. Like, that's actually not true. It wasn't true at that moment, in my view. So 
that came out. Now, it hasn't been followed up on. And, you know, what I, I think is more likely the case is that because you haven't seen any kind of discussion like this on any other U.S. network, like certainly not CNN, clearly not, and, and not any other major network. And then on Fox, it's really only Ben Tucker Carlson. Like mm-hmm. he's alone of the major mainstream corporate voices that has had the courage to talk about the UFO. But he has some leeway to go a little rogue, uh, not too much, but in many areas. Why, now, I think so, yes. He, he alone stopped Trump from many stupid wars. Yeah, he's actually been a really significant person in the um, U.S. media culture. And I mean, there are people he's got he's very popular. I think he's a high he just had the highest rated mm. uh, show in the U.S. this week. He beat Hannity on Fox and beat everyone else. But he's also hated, uh, you know, the basically the left of center media i mean can't stand him yeah the the establishment democrats but uh, the opposition in the democratic party is actually although they look at him as a crypto fascist they are often invited to his show and they often find common cause against the establishment so that's also new yeah, gabbard yeah for example and uh, many other really important voices yeah yeah, yeah. but my, my point simply is like when you look at the the large structure of u.s corporate media yes it is we all know it's almost all controlled but there are openings Hmm. like it's never 100 and so um when some of these things come out it is it's not always because the cia controls it Hmm. like this is my main point here and there are some people some analysts uh in the ufo and alternative field and they they honestly think like everything that comes out is controlled it's controlled by CIA and by NSA and so forth. And yeah, my friend Alex is is one of them who have jumped to that conclusion, unfortunately. But uh, I think part of the problem is it became hugely politicized. Remember during the campaign, the TSA were they did a actually a strategic mistake because they tried to go through again what's his name campaign um, john john podesta hillary clinton's campaign manager. yes and after that the entire right wing was against them right oh this is a part right but what they missed is that Louis alessandro is actually connected personally to uh, now he's not in the trump regime anymore but general mad dog mattis so right. if the left had been as conspiratorial and and had their eyes on the ball they could have said no no this is a right-wing conspiracy look there's a connection here but of course it's neither but that, that's isn't right. that interesting that little connection there yeah yeah and then the the individual politics of the members of ttsa uh it's I don't actually know. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hazard to guess. I have a feeling they, they have a mixture of what we might consider conservative and yeah. more mainstream Democrat leanings. I, I bet they've got both in there. I think they do mm. from the few people that I, I know in there. So I don't really know if they've I, I think they're just basically establishment oriented uh, individuals for the most part. They're They're not out to break the the secret they're not they don't i don't think they see themselves as heroes um but i do think that you know the real question the the thing that they seem to share is that they are all genuinely interested in the ufo subject yeah and i and i know for a fact the few that i've spoken to they are they have been into this forever yeah, one of them uh, you known for a while, and he's been, uh, you know, a name out there forever. Too. Yeah, help it off. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, and look, and I've I've spoken with Hal Puddoff for many years, and it absolutely. In the early years, I, I was hesitant. I didn't want to out him as far as his interest in UFOs went, which is now it is out in the open. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's said this. But yes, I mean, he has had a deep and sophisticated knowledge of the UFO phenomenon for years and years and years. But yeah, he was in the skunk works, wasn't he? No, no. He – no, he that's Lockheed's division. But he uh, worked at SRI, Stanford Research Institute. He was one of the uh, main scientists to organize the remote viewing protocols for the CIA back in the early 70s. Mm. So he organized that whole thing. He's had I think something like 50 years now of, of high-level classified clearances. Mm. So he's very long, long experience in the classified world uh, with CIA and NSA and everyone else. Yeah, but he here's a point I want to make and I want you to comment upon it. Sure. Because when this exploded, like I told you, uh, two voices of reason was you and me, <laughs> basically, in my view. Right, okay. And this is another example of how the masses just went overboard like they did with... Uh, with the fake space program thing. Right. Because I, I'm old enough to remember there's been three efforts prior to this where that backlash didn't happen. Okay. There was first, obviously, the disclosure project of Greer that we mentioned, and kudos to him for that. Right. Very interesting. That got swallowed by 9-11. Where that happened, yeah, what, two right. days after or something? No, well, uh, no, four months. Four months. But in the media culture, it was very immediate. Then, right. oh, I, I know what was the day after. They were Donald Rumsfeld admitting to the uh, missing trillions. That was like right. a couple of days before. That was not a great yeah, thing. Cool. But anyway, that was a huge step in the disclosure history. I mean, Greer was hailed like a hero after that. He's been like a guru in the milieu after that. So then comes um, the citizens. Um, the citizens hearing on disclosure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, citizens disclosure. No backlash there and no uh, conspiracy theory against that i was personally deeply involved in that i had a okay. had a very significant role in that well nice kudos to you yeah. then came the secret space program conferences yeah. which you also were involved with i mean the serious original one right and that was tanked by the way by the fake one which i think is a direct in fact in the beginning many don't know that but in the beginning uh, the first conferences the fake ssp had they even took over symbols and they just hijacked the whole thing so people thought this was the original one because the original one were looking good for a while and had potential yeah but that was I, I agree with that yeah and so my point here is then this fourth path comes and the backlash is enormous and i would remind people and this isn't a wild uh, tinfoil hat theory it's documented and in the open that cia and other intel players have long taken Operation Mockingbird to a new level in terms of trying to control the internet. Uh, I'm not just talking overt like we've talking now, not censorship, but, but yeah. using bots, paid actors. In, in fact, even private corporations does this. We know this. This is known. So I've been speculating. A lot of this came out with uh, Snowden's revelations, but yeah. we've known it before. So don't you think that could be part of the backlash that TSA got? Well, yeah, absolutely possible. So the question is finding out which which are the ones <laughs> who's sincere and who isn't. Uh, and I haven't figured that one out. Like, I just don't know. I, I can promise you Alex is sincere. The, the fact that he's critical to you is his own force. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably the norm. 
uh, of the people that I'm thinking of, like I, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Church earlier in this show. Jimmy and I had very, very strong disagreements about TTSing. So he, he's on the wrong side uh, there too? He, I mean, he came down really hard against them. Very hard. Right. And he was one of many. Quite a, quite a few other public voices in the UFO field just said the whole thing is like an, a CIA op, disinformation. And I would hear this over and over again. And it's just, uh, it just was one long eye roll moment because yeah. I, I really, it, it's, we got to the point in our, in the UFO field, as well as in society in general, where what I call the, the post-modernist infection Hmm. has has now achieved almost universal and i remember like in the movie the invasion of the body snatchers where the the aliens inhabit each person bit by bit right said right the next thing you know yeah. so that's what's happened with what i call postmodernist toxic intellectual thinking and by that let me i'll just explain in our postmodernist world we we don't really listen to other people so much as we try to imagine that we understand their true motivations for saying what they do you know so so and so worked for the cia therefore he's still working mm. for them and therefore uh that's his whole motivation rather than actually listening to the other to what this person's information is like we don't actually do that anymore people really don't listen anymore they actually think they're so damned smart that they can figure out someone's motivations before they even listen to a word they say and that's what i mm. i call that the postmodern toxin and so our field is is just infested by it and so the great thing about that mm. is that it, you don't have to listen to what other people say you don't actually have to communicate all you have to do <laughs> is say oh um you know, that person's a liberal. I don't have to listen to them. That person wrote for a conservative mm. publication. I don't have to listen to them. That person worked for the CIA. I don't have to listen to them. And so that's what we've come to in this world. So we're, we don't actually – our, our go-to position is not actually to listen anymore. Like I, I see this. I don't know if I'm the old. Am I the last person? No, no. You and me are the last man standing. But yeah. it, it's not even. You don't even have to have worked for the CIA. If you have the wrong opinion, then you're compromised. Yeah. That's kind of uh, because I have seen that myself. I disagreed with someone about the mechanics of how the space program got to the moon. Bam! I'm a CIA agent. <laughs> you see, that's, that's how what, it that's is. What happens, but yeah. I want to, my, my point of raising this isn't so much to vent our frustrations, more to awaken people to a huge problem, which uh, ties directly into what we're discussing today. We're discussing how stuff could be disclosure. And like I said to you before today, I said, right. after this treatment of TSA, and I don't think they're heroes either or just good guys, but uh, I'm with you on that. They are not like a controlled drip. So after this, what the heck does people expect? The same people who has been screaming for disclosure are the people who went straight to their throat. So I know. how do they expect anyone now who is in the know to some degree to ever come out after this happened? It's impossible. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. They just ruined this way of disclosing things. Uh, could not agree more. So there's no motivation for any of these individuals to come out openly into this community because it's, it's just toxic. Most people do not want to have to stomach 
being in the public eye to begin with, and and especially not if they're going to have the daggers thrown at them from every direction. So that is a real problem. And whether or not the uh, the the people throwing the daggers are Operation Mockingbird type operatives, which some of them could very well be, I don't deny that. Uh, or I think, uh, or is it the case that many of them just are culturally cynical? Culturally, I don't. What's the way we would put this? Uh, intellectually damaged. It doesn't mean that they're not intelligent, but when you have a flawed ideology, it really does mess you up cognitively. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happened. Like it's it's like under Mao during the Cultural Revolution. Mm-hmm. Those those Chinese people in 1966 and 67, they weren't stupid, but they were poisoned by an ideology that made them act in a nationally idiotic way. Mm. Like really, they, it made them act like idiots. Like the Salem witch trials yeah. on massive steroids. Mm. And and now we, we're seeing a, a a weird kind of resurgence of that mentality throughout a lot of the West, Western nations. Um, and it's, uh, it's on both sides of the political divide. You see it everywhere. It's a kind of a new version of Maoism in the sense of... Uh, if you know if the belief is like if you're not ideologically completely on board with everything I believe, then you're <laughs> then you're going to be cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take you out of the culture. Yeah, it, it goes to your original point about the generation shift too, and the way they are engineering society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But um, I think when we we were we were dissing many of these people who had this knee jerk reaction. In a way, we should understand them too, because I look at them as children of alcoholics. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, I totally agree. This is actually the powers that be who brought on this climate of cynicism and disbelief, because we've been, excuse my French, taken in the ass for so many years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when something finally happens, nothing happens. You see what I mean? No, no, I I agree definitely of that ideology. I call I call it postmodern, but I don't really know if yeah. that's the best way to describe it uh, in this case exactly. But mm. there's a lot of people like this. They have a moderate amount of intelligence, mm. but they they don't and they don't operate at your level. It's obvious, and they don't operate at Gordon White's level. Gordon Gordon's at a very high level. Yeah, but you see what me and Gordon has in common. We're not Americans. Well, <laughs> and I think that uh, influences it because there's a very poisonous culture in America. That's right. It's very hard for the intellect to be cultivated. Well, it's so I, we have an advantage. We are from another culture. Well, I am an American. I'm an American from New York City. All the more kudos to you. <laughs> and I think I think I've had to overcome a few obstacles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm as smart as you are or as Gordon, but I know I'm smart. <laughs> hey, everybody's idiots and everybody's geniuses. But on this topic, I don't think there's many who can compete with you. Man. Thank you. Yeah. I've spent a lot of no, time. No, I mean it. It's not asking. Thank you. It's what many people actually think about you. I don't know if you ever hear it, but it's like everybody agrees. Oh, Richard Dolan. Yeah, that's it's nice. finally one sane voice. No, I always appreciate you know, it. In a forest of madness. I, I do hear that. Okay, cool. Um, I do hear that, and I that when I hear that, I know okay, good. I'm doing something right. And it's so great that you got a wife who's like uh, up to. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, she resonates with you so well. On the I've seen enough of your videos together. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean we're we're different, but we are very complementary. Yeah, that's the thing. And she brings out really a good side of me, and we work well together. And and she seems to have a high spiritual intelligence, and that's very valuable. 
Uh, absolutely. It's absolutely true. So yeah, it's been, oh, she's, she's extraordinary. No, there's so many different kinds of intelligences. And in this world, uh, I think we should try to, like EQ is to completely disvalued in our world today. Yeah. Uh, emotional. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not all about IQ. Yeah, I agree so, with you. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Anyway, I want your take on this. Yeah. I want to make people aware of one very interesting thing. You're talking about uh, the toothpaste coming out, and there's no putting the cat back in the bed, in the bag. Right. And that's happened here too, but people don't see it. But I'll, I'll point it out. Because of this thing, you have uh, what's the Nevada senator called who was uh, Harry Reid. Yeah. They come clean and say, yeah, 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 we had this little thing, like what, uh, a couple of million bucks into this. Yeah, we try to look into this. But that's a mistake on their part to admit it. Because when they admit that, yeah, we have spent money on studying it. Then they're giving the, the game away. Now we're just talking amounts because then enter Catherine Fitz and 50 trillion, which I think it's the latest number of the missing trillions. That's the latest estimate, yeah, of, of like missing money at the Pentagon. Right. Or unaccounted for discrepancies. I don't know the best way that they put that. It's not necessarily missing. It's uh, unaccounted for. Yeah, but, yeah but, but but my listeners know all about it. We've had show, we've interviewed her, so we don't have to rehash that. Good, good, but good, my, good. my point is that as soon as they admit they have done it, then everybody will realize, oh my God, if they take this that seriously and they admit it, it's not a matter of a couple of million dollars. <laughs> that's obvious. But that's all they could come out with, right? They, exactly. Again, this is actually a negative thing because they're not coming clean with everything they know. And they would know this 50 trillion thing, especially after it's been whitewashed uh, by, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, economy professor that has cooperated with Catherine Fitz. So it's kind of Mark that, that, um, Skidmore. Skidmore, and that yes. led, yeah, that led to the revision of uh, Pentagon and everything. So that's a good thing. They've actually taken the foot inside the door, as I see it. What's your take on that? Well, uh, people like Harry Reid, uh, it's not clear to me how deeply enmeshed in the, the deepest aspects of the cover-up he was. He he clearly was interested in UFOs. He was friends with Bigelow for years. So you can't be Bigelow's friend and not <laughs> and not encounter an interest in UFOs. Like, so um, he obviously knew a lot about it. He had to be very quiet about it. That much is clear. Um, but in terms of, did, did that mean Harry Reid, even as a U.S. senator, had any influence or control over the the billions or maybe even trillions, who knows how much, that may have been spent on this? My guess is very possibly not. I mean, even... Even as a powerful senator, which he was, uh, it's not clear to me that they that they have all that much influence over this. Yeah, but you know what Michael Schwartz said? No, I didn't. He not. said that uh, the senators for those states who, because he has given away the biggest production facilities, Indeed. and you can't be in the loop of mm -hmm. the powers of those states without knowing something is going on. Billions. I would agree. I, I think. I agree with that. I agree with what Michael said there. And, and ne Nevada is one of the culprits. I'm sorry? What is? Ne Nevada, where uh, Reed Nevada, is. Yes, yeah, that's yes. one of the culprits. That's his state. Absolutely. No, I think I think Harry Reid, I'm sure, knows more than he has said publicly. But whether he's had actual 
um, you know, the full because what what I find with this is that there's all of these little concentric circles and they get smaller and smaller and smaller into the center. And I have I have personally never encountered anyone who's at the centermost part of it. Mm. Uh, like people like some of the folks at TTSA, like I'm just gonna guess here, but maybe like Kit Green or Put Off or well, not that Kit Green isn't TTSA, he isn't, but he's he knows all those people. I think some of those folks are knocking at the doors of some of the more central circles, mm. but they're not in the center, not not at all. And I don't think Harry Reid was in the center, and I don't think Bigelow was in the center either, for that matter. I think what we're looking at are all of these people who have been spending their lifetime trying to work their way through through this labyrinth, as it were, to get to the center I think that's what they probably want, and whether they want to do it for the rest of the world or not, I have. They may not care. Mm. They may not. They may not matter to them. But they. But they want it for themselves, and they probably want access to some of the classified technologies that they know exist, mm. uh, so that they can perhaps exploit it for their own defense-related projects. Like that wouldn't shock me in the least. You know, they probably would love to make a lot of money out of this, and they can't. They can't really do it if all of the defense contracts for this classified subject of UFOs are just locked up with a few big players like Lockheed or Boeing, or maybe Raytheon or whatever. Like I, I would, I could imagine that one version of TTSA that might be viable is if they could gain intellectual property rights over over something. Like, for example, they've got access to these so-called meta-materials. Uh, these are very unusual artifacts, allegedly from UFOs. They have been studied. They have been talked about. Hal Putoff talked about one of them in great detail. In fact, this is one of the pieces that was held for years by Linda Moulton Howe, the journalist, and she loaned it to a lot of scientists to study, including Putoff. And that piece is now in the possession of TTSA and the United States Army, which is currently doing research on it. Mm. And it's, it's a highly unusual artifact with um, presumably a tremendous amount of potential for technological exploitation, if they could figure it out. So I think this, this is very likely one very important thing TTSA would like to do is to capitalize on this technology, but they can't they can't even get a conversation going <laughs> as an outsider group <laughs> unless they get some kind of UFO UAP conversation happening within Congress, mm. which is really that's their main audience. I don't think they give a shit, frankly, about the general public. Mm. I don't think they care. I think their only audience is the power structure in Washington, D.C. And the media, obviously. The media enough to the extent that the power structure listens. Right, right, I right. I think that's I don't, it. Doesn't, so I don't think disclosure, like in the way that citizens care, I don't think that's what TTSA is about. I think TTSA is about leveraging information and tech that they do know about. Uh, to get defense contracts. For example, we know that uh, when Robert Bigelow was a subcontractor to the um, ATIP program, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which the New York Times outed 
um, in 2017. So when Bigelow was was a subcontractor for that program, he hired Putoff uh, to be his, I think, his chief scientific uh, person. And one of the things Putoff did, and and Hal Putoff has talked about this, is he requested exploratory scientific papers from from leading scientists from around the world for them to estimate where their specific disciplines would be in uh, several decades into the future. Mm. So, and, and he said, he said, actually, this was my rather sly way of getting some of these most brilliant people to help us understand UFO tech. Mm. And that's what he said. So in other words, you know, the uh, TTSA with people like Putoff and other scientists that they've got there, like Steve Justice and others, they actually have a good, solid foundation for leveraging some of their scientific knowledge into viable defense contracts, which could be a lot of money for them all if they were able to, to do that. But in order for them to leverage defense contracts, they need to get politicians to take this stuff seriously enough that they actually get an audience. I think that's their game. And this will benefit the disclosure crowd. I'm sorry, say that again, please. This will benefit people. That's what people don't realize. It doesn't matter if they have economical uh, motives. It will benefit us. Correct. Like, exactly. So Shifting. Like, right. The, the, you can't look. We're human beings are not angels. We're human beings. So we don't. We have. We have all kinds of motivations for self, for making money and getting power. That's what we are. We're we're not angels. So it's stupid to expect us to act like angels, and it's stupid to expect TDSA to act purely on a philanthropic basis for the world. I mean, just people aren't like that. But if if by pursuing their self-interest, they open up something that's important for the rest of us, then my attitude is fine. And if they get a multi-billion dollar contract, well, then they get a multi-billion dollar contract, but we have a new conversation. Someone would get that money anyway. Right. So that that's my take on them. That's what I think Yeah. They're about. They, by the way, they have not told me this, so I have no, no one in the or not cut off, not anyone has said. Oh yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. This is my personal interpretation. That's this is called analysis, people. Okay, right. Yeah, right. This is what I believe. But uh, no, I'll give you an example. Uh, or actually, you know this, but I'll give the listeners an example of of uh, one of the unintended good consequences of this. You know uh, the old Bob Lazar story. Yes. It could never have gotten this renaissance, huge He was even on Joe Rogan's show, which is the real media. Yes. Uh, right. Forget about the lamestream, old uh, new media is what it's Absolutely. all about. And that couldn't have happened. That was in the aftermath of all this. It's been so uh, whitewashed now as a subject that you can have these kind of conversations all over the place. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's really changed quite a lot. Uh, Rogan's been, I think, a really great benefit in general. Uh, as and by the way, the fact that he's leaving YouTube to go to Spotify, I think, is a huge win. Oh, this is so great! It's so great! It's a huge win. Yes, absolutely. Because YouTube, you goes, should get your you should get your ass over to Joe Rogan. By the way, listeners, suggest to Joe Rogan to have Richard on. Okay. Well, thank you. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it would. It would. It, it, it plays right up to his audience. Everything you have to offer, and it would well, help would also. Be, I would. I would love to do it. I won't lie. If uh, if the moment ever came, 
I would uh, definitely look forward to that and I would do my best. But he hasn't invited me yet. I don't know if he knows. No, he's not aware of you. Let's start a campaign to make him aware because you're right up his alley. And and he also has very respectful academicians. So your scholarly approach will be appreciated by him, even if he's just a fighting monkey on steroids. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, there was a a minor hashtag going for a while called hashtag Dolan on Rogan. Oh, the voice. So there were people who wanted us. Let's revive it then. Let's revive it. So revive it. By all means, I'd be happy. (laughs) I'd love to listen to that show. (laughs) Do it. But uh, no, okay. So we're closing up to the end. Oh, by the way, you're picture about concentric circles is perfect to understand how this works. Do you remember the old British show called The Prisoner? I I have heard of it, but I have to say I don't know it. I don't know it. Oh, you love it. Get all episodes, see them in the right sequence. If you ever get them, ask me for the right sequence and cuddle up on the sofa with your wife and you'd have a I'll blast. And, and, the and, idea about Oh, I'm sorry. Well, concentric circles. I actually, uh, I've thought about this type of thing for a while. And Mm. if I could explain it in a way, uh, I've thought about concentric circles for a number of years as I think basically five. And so if you imagine the center circle is the brightest Mm. and they get progressively darker as you move away from the center. So the center circle is what we might call pop culture or mainstream culture. So the 24 seven, propaganda that is broadcast to people that everyone's supposed to believe they um so when people go to the university for the first time and they read academic literature they realize oh that's that propaganda that that i've been fed actually isn't true and they go into the next reality so from mainstream reality they go to academic reality Mm. and many people in the university world they stop there and they they think that's that's as far as it goes. But actually, with the there are several circles beyond. Beyond the academic reality is the classified reality. Mm. And and the fact is, you know, when you as I studied history professionally for many years, professional historians are certainly aware that there is a classified world. But the fact is that it's it's unavailable to them. And as a result of that, it really it never almost never factors into their analyses. It's almost as if it doesn't exist. Because historians like to focus their work on what is attainable, what what is available. And if something is classified, then by definition, it's not available to them. Mm. So there's a, an entire classified reality that that goes vastly beyond the academic reality. But then classified reality is not unified. There's all different types of compartmented mm. classified areas of knowledge. And relating to the UFO subject – We could say that there's another concentric circle, much darker, that's beyond that classified world that is specifically for need-to-know UFO slash UAP programs, black budget programs. And then beyond that is the darkest of all the circles, and that is the reality understood by these other beings themselves who are here, who are interacting with us. I think that's that's a really um, a useful way to understand the layers of reality that exist. Yeah, it, it's it's right up there with the breakaway civilization concept. Good. But you forgot one circle that I know you become aware of as uh, later in the game you become aware of that circle and it's fun to see you because that's where I'm coming from and it's fun to see you having discovered it and, yes. and, and slightly explored it and I think one of the contributors to your awakening to that circle is friend of our show Gordon White of Rune Soup and then of course you understand I'm talking about the esoteric 
Uh, yes, quite fascinating, quite fascinating. I, I've heard you even talk about Manly Hall and stuff like that. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So that shouldn't be excluded too, because that's if you go back in history, you'll see that there are some overlapping here. I agree with that. Um, I had a fantastic conversation with Gordon White on my program, and uh, I I met Gordon previous to that through an event sponsored by Catherine Austin Fitz, actually in Australia. Yeah. I've heard, we've heard about it. Yes. She to, uh, he or her talked about it. I, yeah. Everybody wished they could be there. <laughs> it was a beautiful. It, it was. It was actually. It was fabulous. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I was Catherine's speaker guest, but Gordon was an attendee, and Gordon was was absolutely brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. Mm. So yes, we became good friends. Um, so what you're referring to is an understanding of esoteric traditions in our history. But the fact is, I've been interested in that for a very long time. I just haven't oh, okay. publicly. Ah. Right, talked right, right. about it as a as a UFO historian, but for example, Manly P. Hall is someone I read. Um, I don't know when I read him more than five six years ago when I actually really dove into him. He's brilliant. Manly P. Hall. Well, his book is one of the hardest books for me to understand how it actually was written of any book I've ever read. Oh, okay. I mean, he was in his mid twenties. Yeah. In the nineteen twenties. Mm. when he wrote that book there was no internet there was no. it was just libraries and bookstores he wrote a book that if you didn't know any better you'd think this was written by a scholar in their 70s at the end of a long life of study and yet he wrote this absolutely masterful work of genius about the uh, early esoteric traditions of of western mysticism i guess you could say you know the Eleusinian traditions and the Mediterranean yep. traditions, pre-Christian and so forth, and with a depth of uh, insight that I, I just marvel at. I'm like, how did this guy who's 25 years old do it? Mm. It's incredible. It is. When I mentioned The Prisoner, uh, one of the reasons I mention it is that they present a world in uh, allegoric form, which is circles uh, on circles. And ah. one of the slogans of that show and we use it in our show. Every show I have end with this slogan. And that slogan is, who is number one? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And that's an existential. You, should, you can't pin uh, the prisoner down to one thing. It's spiritual. It's technological. It's political. It's everything. Wow. You see what I mean? Ah, so it's, you love the show. Sure. You and your wife should really watch it. If you, I mean, aren't you in lockdown? I am indeed. Well, you're a busy person anyway, but uh, if you have some time on I, your hands. I'm keeping busy. Yeah. No, I, I will. I'll look okay. for it. Okay, you, you'll not regret it. Thank you. Last point, and I'll let you go, okay? Sure. I'm, I know we're on overtime. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, I think one of the, what I'm really uh, trying to embrace here as a desperate hope, I almost feel like a Catholic altar boy in this uh, <laughs> uh, subject now, because you, like we said, you see how they treat uh, TSA and others. It, it's and by the way, people, it's very easy. If someone is like supported by the establishment and they come out of this like heroes and millionaires and everything, then yeah, you could suspect like like a Corey Good, right? You know, nothing fierce to him as if as if any whistleblower would, even if it's his what he said was true, they would never unload all that stuff at once. But anyway, mm -hmm. look at how TSA has been. Fairing, that should be your clue to that this is an organic thing. So now that yes. all doors are closed, I'm keeping my hopes in something you just mentioned on Pasong in the end of part one. 
Because you were talking about these weird phenomenons that is in our stratosphere, or just, or especially between Moon yes. and our planet. And you know David Serida, right? I do. He had this brilliant analysis uh, called, uh, uh, what was it called? It was a two-part uh, movie about NASA UFOs, the truth about NASA UFOs or something. Yes, yes, yes. And when you see that footage, man, and I've said this in many shows, you can't, it can't be ours, not all of them. And they are like football field huge. They all look like Pac-Mans. In fact, I think they look more organic than technological. But the fact that something like that is there is my big hope now for disclosure. But so, something like that could never be censored away, no matter how much they control uh, mainstream media. What's your take I, on that? I think I think and hope that that's true. Like I keep it, – it's it's really hard for me to think right now. We're in the middle of 2020 uh, where this is all going to go. Um, so – but what I mean is I had a, a, a very good moment of optimism and hope uh, during 2018 and 2019 that uh, because of how the media was portraying UFOs a little more open that we we actually might – see some continued success but i don't think it's a guarantee and i don't i mean unless the folks at ttsa have something else up their sleeve and i'm told they do but i don't know that they do Hmm. then the whole thing could just come to a grinding halt and we could be right back maybe not exactly where we were but we might be stalled for another who knows how many more decades Hmm. So, but before we actually have truth that is meaningful to us on this subject. And at the same time, I I look at other trends in our global society, which I I mentioned to you earlier, and I'm, pardon me, very concerned about, which I think that we're moving to an era of genuine totalitarianism, where maybe a decade or two behind China, as far as I can see, in terms of genuine control over the population, 24-7 surveillance, and the, the imposition of a kind of uh, global nanny state that watches your every move and in order to protect you from bad information, in order to protect you from anything else that it sees as dangerous and the complete elimination of genuine freedom. Like I see that. Mm. So to me, that that's hand in hand with whatever our future in dis- the disclosure field is. And it could actually be that disclosure is one of our real hopes against that. In other words, this is actually this is one thing that that I wrote with my co-author ten years ago, and I think is still apropos today. Which is, it really could be that breaking the secrecy on UFOs could actually be one of the most important ways that we stop this slide into totalitarianism, because it mm. it would be it would be a big enough shock. To the, to the system and to the public that it might just be something big enough to wake us up to the depth of lies that have gone on for so long. Like It seems to me that the only way to potentially stop this totalitarian slide isn't by toppling more statues, by the way. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it is by understanding that we are really sliding toward totalitarianism and in both left and right wing uh, movements correct Mm. correct 
so that um well yeah i mean we people for years and years have, have recognized that that right wing ideologues love authoritarian governments right but but now we're understanding that left wing ideologues love authoritarian governments every bit as much so um but back to disclosure i think uh it's the shock of having been lied to for more than 70 plus years on such a fundamental thing as ufo's could be one of the only things left to jolt the system and cause a genuine public analysis of the structures of secrecy and that's what we need like we need we need to have a a, a cold water in the face moment where we where we can see what's happening because right now we're not we're not seeing it uh, we got people upset over basically one element of the working class is fighting another element of the working class. That's really what you're saying over issues that that um, I mean, what are insignificant can, issues, identity politics and bullshit symbol cases. Yeah, by and large. Yes, it's it's not that it's not that people of uh, minority cultures have no cause to be angry. I mean, there's always a cause. There's there are always there's always cultural repression happens everywhere mm. that's always a thing that never goes away yeah i wasn't referring to black lives matter this goes far but... yeah black lives matter or, or any other ethnic uh, minority in any other part of the world yeah you know not all ethnic minorities are black yeah. uh but there's always a grievance could be language it could be anything it could be economics as well but but culture 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 seems to be the thing that's yeah. always promoted so no i mean i have um for the record, I, I live in a community that's probably 75 plus percent African-American, black. Uh, they're my friends. I'm, I'm their friend. And I understand a lot of the anger that people feel. But I do I do say that, yeah, these issues – I mean, we're getting into another matter here. Yeah. But I think that you've got, <laughs> you've got a whole array of issues that are capitalized on, let's say that, by unethical um, – establishment organizations for their own purpose and and one of those and the u.s by the way is the master of doing this to other nations it's called color revolution it's an old game right. and no one is better than the united states intelligence and uh, ngo community at doing this yeah and i th i just think they know how to exploit divisions so meanwhile we're stuck on that and we're not seeing that we're sliding into 24 7 surveillance state totalitarianism but this shock to the system you're you're promoting is that what's covered in chapter seven called paradigm shift, our new place in the universe? Yeah, well, we talk about that in part. We talk about um, I've got I'm holding the book here, actually my my first edition. Um, yeah, the whole second half of the book actually deals. Yeah, here's paradigm shift, chapter eight. Oh, in my original book, it's chapter eight. Oh, okay. In the revised, it's chapter seven. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's the fact that people realize, you know, my goodness, you've lied to us on this significant thing for all these years. What else have you lied to us about? Mm. So it's one of these things that I think could at least conceivably. Now, that was true in 2010. I think it's every bit as true in 2020 where people would realize, like, it's one thing to to think that your government lies to you. We all understand that. But it's another thing to actually feel it. For example, it's one thing to know that there's crime in the world, but then when you get mugged yourself <laughs> with a gun in your face or a knife at your throat, happened to me once, then then you know, wow, like this is serious. Like it goes into your body. 
And it's the same with the lies over disclosure. Like we can all realize, yeah, sure, the government's lying on UFOs. But once you get into the details of what that's like, I think that that's what it will take hmm. for the system to get that shock. And, and, and I think that's the hope of disclosure. It was my hope then, and it actually still remains my hope now. It's my hope now. I see it as the only hope left. Yeah. How it will happen is really the great unknown. But I, I think I still I maintain that our society is in such a state of flux, uh, technologically particularly, hmm. in which there are always new means by which information might be able to come out. Yeah. Um, that it could happen, that, that an, an unauthorized leak can happen, for example, or... Or an event, a huge event. An event, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's all possible. And I would be a fool to say, oh, yeah, tomorrow is going to be just like today. <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't think that. But I, I have to admit, like, I don't know exactly how the breakthrough can occur. But I think that there is absolutely possibility for a breakthrough. And when it happens, well then the shit will hit the fan. <laughs> and, mm. what, and, and by the way, I don't know that disclosure is going to bring about some kind of golden utopia. In fact, I, I doubt it. Mm. I, I, don't, I think utopias are bad ideas. Mm. And I think utopians are generally dangerous people, and I usually avoid them. No, but like, like I said, it could be exploited for the verse. Let's go to war. You know, starship troopers. Well... That and also just uh, it could disclosure can open up a lot of new problems. And this is one thing we wrote about, like just because there's disclosure doesn't mean that we will all agree on the nature of these other beings. Mm. So there'll be there could be a great ideological divide on that. There are friends. No, there are enemies like you could easily see that happening. And, yeah, absolutely. And then our our response to an official response to these other beings would probably be subject to tremendous debate, argument, hostility, um, and where people really take it as a matter of a mortal threat, if you disagree with me. Like, you could easily see that happening. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any kind of great transformation, I think, is going to cause a lot of disturbance and a lot of unhappy people for at least several decades. Like, I... I don't think it's necessarily the case that we'll be happier. It's funny, uh, when you mentioned the left-right thing, I just want to say it reminded me of the old joke. You know what they say? A Republican is a Democrat who has been mugged. <laughs> okay. A Democrat is a Republican who has been in jail. <laughs> it's exactly what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I think that's and that's, that's a shout-out to Black Lives Matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing we can say about this... Uh, I'm now, I've lived long enough, I'm not old, old, but I'm 50, I'll be 58 in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've, I've developed a decent perspective. And relating to liberal versus conservative, people, we must understand we need liberals and conservatives in our society. Like we, mm. we fail if we only have one perspective on this. Like we really genuinely need both. Uh, we need the creativity and I would say empathy of liberals. And we need the practicality and work ethic of a lot of the people who are conservative. Yeah, anti-authoritarian streaks are... Yeah, you don't, right, you don't want a world where there's absolutely no rules. You've got to have some organization. You've got to have order and you've got to have freedom. Like you need them both. Yeah. And we don't, we don't thrive in just one or the other. We don't thrive in a, in a completely organized society like, like China is becoming 
and that we are in danger of becoming. And, and we don't thrive either with total anarchy. You've got to have both. So you need both types. You need a, a loving mom and a, and a stern dad. That's kind of what it is. <laughs> and an enlightened child, let's hope. Yeah, hope. <laughs> That's what we're rooting for. Exactly. I, I have to ask you a very speculative question. Mm. If you can take off your academic hat for a moment okay. and answer this, because what you said led me to that. Look, if we have a breakaway civilization, if we have a classified space program, and let's say they have reached other uh, planets where there is life. Now, imagine if there's intelligent life there. I don't care if it's like caveman level, just some kind of intelligent life. Look at okay. what the same powers have done on Earth. They shy away, not even killing, raping, enslaving, uh, right. looting our own people, let alone them. So do, could you see a scenario that today they may have enslaved people in other planets to get yes. the resources? Yeah. Well, it would not It would not go against human nature. You know, remember the movie Avatar? Exactly. Uh, just just recently, I, I rewatched a movie from the 1980s called The Mission with Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons, uh, which was about uh, Spanish and Portuguese domination of southern Brazil back in 1750. Yeah, be beautiful movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was. Yes, there's a lot of great things about it. And, you know, you just you see the pattern. It's that actually that's almost the same as the Avatar movie that uh, copied a lot of those themes years later. Mm. This idea of human beings going into a society that they have the ability to dominate. And uh, and completely subjugate. And that's what people do. I mean, we're human beings ultimately are predators. And it's wonderful to hear people say, well, yes, one day we'll evolve into something more gentle or peaceful. But I, I don't really see that. Yeah, but everyday people are not predators. It's always those we uh, everyday choose. Everyday people are not predators because everyday people have a really nice situation. And everyday people have laws and they have police that they know, like if you actually act like a predator, there will be consequences. Look, uh, you'll find much nicer people among the poor than among the rich. Often. So I don't think it's the situation. But... If it's uh, happening, like uh, you say, uh, wouldn't that be a good reason to keep a classified space program classified? Because if the public knew that we are not only having first contact with goddamn killing and maybe in war in other planets, it would be a revolution. Yeah, it's a spec. Uh, yes, that's probably right. Very speculative. That's why uh, yeah. you, you mentioned uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, who um, uh, it's lucky that we get to chat with someone as brilliant as her, isn't it? I mean, she's just an amazing lady. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that she has argued, and she's a, a real financial whiz, she can, I, I mean, I just barely try to hang on to her while she's flying through the air talking about <laughs> finance. Yeah. But her, her argument is that the global financial system is open, not closed. And by that, what she means, it's like, think of a, a room in your house that's got an open window and the heat is going out the window. Mm. So- in her formulation, in the global financial system, a lot of that missing money that she has been talking about, she believes has gone out of our system to this, well, breakaway civilization, potentially secret space program off world, who knows where, mm. maybe underground, maybe somewhere else. But it's it's removed to some extent from our system. And that's, you know, in a way, that's sort of what you're hinting at here or talking about here. And I, I would see that as possible. I don't, I mean, he, you know, there's, there's a, a story in the UFO field that I, 
I tend to believe it is the 1988 ARV story that is that stands for Alien Reproduction Vehicle. Mm. And we don't have to go into all the details, but it's it's a story that's been out for a while. I know a lot of people have investigated it, and it had to do with an air show uh, at, a, at a classified facility for a very, very elite establishment in November 1988, in which three hovering flying saucers, essentially just described as alien reproduction vehicles, were, were demonstrated, were shown, hmm. and that a four-star general was giving a lecture about them at, at, at a podium and talking about them, how they had been how they had already uh, traversed many areas of the solar system by then, by 1988. And it's, it seems like an insane story, but I don't think it is. I think it's a true story. Um, if it's true, and look, we've been, we've been out there in a very secretive way for a long time, indeed. And so what you're asking, could we have, could one element of our civilization have covertly colonized some other primitive world mm. yeah, of course yeah totally possible have they is another question like i don't know have they have they been able to go that far out light years away i, I don't know i mean part of me thinks no part of me thinks that's too much of a stretch but maybe it's not one of the things that's uh, being discussed now in a very sophisticated way is a discussion slash argument over the physics of these so-called metamaterials that I was talking about earlier in our conversation. It is very apparently very highly evolved, highly um, manufactured nano-level engineering of of um, of some artifacts that. We have, we have been studying, yeah. and one theory is that it's the material itself is actually able to slow down the speed of light when light interacts with it, thereby changing a whole set of mathematical equations, thereby allowing you to soften the space-time layer around the material, thereby allowing you to uh, generate a kind of propulsion is really not accurate to call it like this, but to be able to warp space-time you know, this is what Lazar was talking about 30 years ago, except he was talking about a different technology doing this warping mm. space. But the idea of warping, this is the end run around the speed of light limitation. If you're able to shrink space in front of you and extend it behind you, and there is mathematics that, that attests to this, mm. then you can basically cheat and you are not really needing to obey I mean, you're obeying the laws of physics. You're obeying even Newtonian laws of physics within your space-time bubble. But if you're able to warp that bubble, then well, then you can you can move the way they move. So um, that was a theory put out that I heard by um, by Jack Sarfati, who's one of the mad scientists involved in these kinds of discussions. And I don't know if he's right or not, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and if something like that was going on. Uh, colonizing space, then they would. We would also need to look to Earth to see how things happening here could contribute to it. And I would then sure. suggest again wild speculation, but it's a puzzle piece. These stupid wars that they get nothing out of is an excellent way to test out different kinds of technology and to brutalize their own soldiers, so that when they recruit people 
to maybe go to war out there. We all remember what the hacker discovered, right? Space fleet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that could I be a way. I think wars actually uh, uh, make perfect sense um, okay. for a different reason. I think the wars within the established. I think America's wars make perfect sense um, from the point of view of maintaining its empire. I mean, what the United States has had to do for the past 50 years, but just about is to completely dominate the world's oil supply. Yeah. Uh, ever since the U.S. went off of the gold standard and moved toward the petrodollar system in the early 1970s, the U.S. has had to completely dominate that. And, and therefore, when there are nations that move outside that system, as Saddam Hussein attempted to do mm-hmm. around the year 2000, he had to be stopped immediately. Um, when Muammar Gaddafi threatened to roll out a gold-backed currency um, in the you know lead up to the Arab Spring of 2011, right. he had to be stopped. Yep, yep. Uh, the, this, the, the nation of Syria which has fought heroically against the Islamic State, sanctioned and supported by the United States, they also were outside of the United States-led... Venezuela. Event. Yeah, all of those. So, so when the U.S. is engaging in warfare or, uh, or fomenting insurgent warfare against those nations, there's, look, there's total logic to that. Um, so, when, I mean, I, I understand your feeling like there's, they seem like there's... Yeah, but piggybacking, never let a, uh, what's you say, a crisis go to, never let a war go to waste. Yeah, I, I, I bet that's true. I'll bet that, you know, they use, they use technology. You know there's UFO observations in wars, right? I'm sorry, what's that? There's UFO observations in war, you know this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, that's right. I just wanted to point out, like, the United States... The wars seem stupid to us, and mm. I mean, from the grand scheme of things, they are incredibly stupid. But from the point of view of U.S. strategy, they are very calculated, and they're definitely for a reason. Unfortunately, so. In the old days, there were spoils of war going to the nation, and we don't see that. That's why it looks super uh, stupid. But of course, there are people who enrich themselves. But it's not the national state. If anything, you're losing. <laughs> trillions on these adventures that's right we're fast uh, past uh, time and and subject i would just want to ask you sure you said it was a revised vision of your book so have you revised it in terms of contents have you like updated it to to try oh to... no no well the um we wrote it in 20 we wrote after disclosure in 2010 mm. uh, and then issued the revised version like a year later oh okay a year later and the reason was uh, the original version was published by me, by my company, uh, which at the time was called Keyhole Publishing. And then, you know, Bryce and I. It's not called that anymore? Well, I renamed it to Richard Dolan Press. Oh, okay, okay. It's the same same thing. Yeah. Uh, but Bryce and I, uh, particularly, we, we came actually kind of close to getting a television Hollywood treatment of the book. And, wow. and that was really Bryce's thing. Like, he wanted to shop it around Hollywood. And so he felt and he convinced me and we decided that let's get the book published by a a more of a mainstream publisher. So we ended up, we ended up doing that and they said, that's fine, but your book's too long. And I said, what do you mean? My book's too long. (laughs) They said, well, your book's a little bit too long. So we need you to cut it from 130,000 words to under, under 100,000 words. And I screamed and yelled and cursed and (laughs) threw things across the room. And uh, I said, the only way that's going to happen is if I personally do it and I alone do it. So I I took that book and I shortened it. But I also updated it. 
uh, so because so in between 2010 and 2011, we had the Arab Spring, right. we had the Occupy Wall Street movement as well, and those were very fresh. And we did we we took a couple of things out and we added a couple of things. So I think I think the revised version's a little bit better. Like it's a, it's definitely a, a better read. So that's the one we should get. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well, do you really? I have a few old copies of the original edition. I I don't even sell them. Oh. So the only one you can get is the revised version. Right, so that's okay. realistically speaking. Okay, I see. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Out and buy it. It's it's a superb book. That's really nice of you. Thank it's you. It's very interesting and thrilling. Uh, when you you know we love scenario thinking, and that's basically what that book is. Thank you. Yeah. As well as as well as the show today, by the way. I just want to put in a word for my co-author Bryce Zabel, who. Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, Bryce is in his own right a very astute student of UFOs. Like he knows it really well. But the the real skill he brought in as a writer, from my perspective, mm-hmm. is that as a as a seasoned Hollywood scriptwriter, one thing he does way better than I've done than I could do is narratives. Yeah, like in creating um dramaturgy. Like a visceral reality mm. to a situation. So in a way that he and he encouraged me to to lean into that as a writer too. So I think he made me a better writer in that regard. Mm-hmm. I mean, my approach is always more analytical uh, as a writer, but he really brought it down to the ground, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so that that um, feeling as though you're there, I think a lot of that's him. And it was a really great uh, addition mm-hmm. to the book. And much of it is relevant still, even though some conditions have changed. It's still... Oh, yeah. um, and no one's tried it since. No one's written a book like that right, since. Right, right. <laughs> and by the way, have you interviewed Dr. Diana Pasolka about her American course maker? I have not yet. Um, we have a lot of... We have Chris Bledsoe as a mutual friend. And mm. um, I have... You, shouldn't you get her on? I think that would be a smashing show, hearing you and her discuss. I'm getting her oh, on. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it will happen. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm planning to... Mm seek her out probably sometime this year. I think it'll be good to have a conversation with her. Cool. Okay. So it was an absolute pleasure having you on today. I enjoyed it very I much. Think we, I think we managed to, to live up to the last show, which we got many good kudos for. Finally, someone asked Richard those questions. And yes. finally, we could hear him talk about that because you often, I think you often get the same questions and that can be boring. So I tried to, to give you some fresh perspectives today. Right. I appreciated it. it mm. um, those are my favorite conversations where uh, I get challenged. You know, we, we said earlier in the show, like I, I was saying, I believe in listening to people and also in talking to people who have something different to offer me because that's how I grow. I think that's valid for everyone. I don't, I don't want to live in an echo chamber. <laughs> right. Uh, or, or in a safe space. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Brilliant. Okay. So I'll send you, give me like one to two weeks that's fine and i'll send you the first 20 minutes that's perfect appreciate half an hour or whatever it was if you want to use it oh i I would love to and uh and at some point in a few weeks you'll put this on your youtube channel i guess yeah no uh, here's how it will play out we have like uh 30 unreleased shows on our youtube channel because yeah it's crazy because we have to make videos for them takes a lot of time but we have a oh yes right your videos are beautiful oh you've seen some of them that's great yes 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 yeah 
Yeah. Really nice. But what we do is that we first uh, upload it to our member section. We, we don't do like many people do. You are one of them who uh, withhold material. Uh, like many people, uh, they release part one and then oh, to listen to part two, you have to pay and come here, right? That's the yeah. normal model. Right. But we found another way. What we do is that we have a buffer. The intention was to have five shows buffer. Now it's like 20, 30. <laughs> but we have a okay. buffer and we say, if you donate, you'll be able to access these immediately. Right. And then we release them at different paces. Okay, good. I don't know when this will be released, but I'll tell you one thing. After we started our podcast channel, yes. where we don't have to make videos, just release audio. So it will come there probably in a few months from now right and then sometime in the future we come to youtube but that's okay because we we get now as many listeners on a podcast as we get on youtube and may i ask you relating to like i don't know how you monetize any of this yep, i'll tell you uh, the clue is before the money uh, the the um, ad gate thing right youtube gate and ad right. we got more money from that now it's from donors and we have a brilliant model because we, we don't say pay five bucks a month and then, uh, no, no, we go by, look, buy us a coffee, uh, a dollar a month, okay? Uh-huh. And then you get access. I don't care if you give me $100 a month or $1 a month, you'll get access. And it turns out, man, it really turns And I don't think this would be a valid for all kinds of shows, but it's valid in the field we are operating in. And mind you, we're not just operating in you for stuff. We do a lot of topics. We're doing spiritual stuff. We're doing psychology, all sorts of stuff. Right. And what happens is that even the cheapskates or the poor people donate, but they set the limit of how much they think it's valuable. Okay. So it's all how you want to uh, do this. We have a reputation uh, like Peter Lavender, when he read the comments under our videos, he was mind blowing. He said, I-, I didn't expect this kind of depth in YouTube. So I think it's because we have like more intelligent listeners. Yes, yes, clearly do. And also ma- many who identify that uh, we are sincere and truth seeking. And so they just get sympathy and they just want to help out. And I, I couldn't foresee it because I never donated before I began this myself. Mm-hmm. And in your case, it's just about getting an impact because I started before you. I started before the rigged algorithm, which is how I could grow just big enough to make it. Right. If I started now, I would be dead in the water. You should be dead in the water. Oh, yes. But because of your previous record, yeah. a, a, you know, word of mouth helped you. I'm approaching 100,000 subscribers uh, mm. now. I um, I think I'm in mid-80s. For the website? So it's, it's, uh, I'm sorry, what? For the website or for YouTube? No, for my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> my website, um, I've got a good membership is working for my, my website. Same with Joseph Farrell. I think so, yes. It does a nice job. So I do, I have that model of people pay on a monthly basis to be members of the site and i i feel like my job is to uh make sure my bosses are happy (laughs) absolutely but you could monetize your youtube channel if you know how to work around the algorithm i i I have i i have monetized it and i do get some money out of it it was more but you know how to avoid the censorship yes there are people who uh have provided me advice on that it it seems to be ever-changing goalposts frankly it is yeah, have you discovered how you can fight that? I have someone who does it for me, so I oh, actually nice, nice. don't know. Oh, okay. How how would I? You, well, you don't have to know if you have someone, but <laughs> I'm I'm fighting monthly too. 
Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, I, I do make money from YouTube on a monthly basis. It's less than it was a year or two ago. They've definitely been shadow banning me and, um, and I have to fight when they demonetize videos, which they do frequently enough. Yeah. And did you see what they did in Europe recently? No. The new corporate laws? Horrible stuff, man. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Uh, they can take you down now. Uh, they can before it was like very well, it was fair use and YouTube wasn't involved, right? But now they can like put YouTube in jail basically. So they make YouTube police us, if you see what I mean. Yes, yes, yes. Horrible stuff. Right. YouTube basically has been forced to even more to enforce the. Yep. Um, well, yeah. And Twitter and Facebook and who, who not. So. Yeah, I think Europe is more restrictive even than the U.S. on this right now. Yep. That's the impression. Yeah. You do have some uh, old echoes that's serving you well over there. Uh, now, after, of course, after the new depression, you, you, you're aware enough to know that uh, the robbery that happened now is even worse than back in 08. Yeah. It's just been trillions, trillions, trillions to the corporation and nothing to the people. So now that they crushed free enterprise uh, right. small businesses That's uh, right. it may change in america but you used to have at least opportunity to i know do something you know i know i know it breaks my heart and you don't even have the benefits uh, we at least have the ben- high taxes but at least we get free health care and all that stuff right you don't even get that no we have sh- so you're no. like double screwed terrible yeah yeah it's oh bad my God. yeah it's so depressive <laughs> i had to end it on this note but <laughs> well, uh, I'll let you go now, man. It's it's getting late. Well, it's late. And it was a blast. I really enjoyed this talk. Perfect. It's a good one. Thank you very much. Oh, Al, same here. Absolutely. All right, sir. Hey, thank your wife for setting this up for me, okay? My, for us. My pleasure. I'll, I'll tell uh, Tracy that uh, it was a total success. Great. Al, have a great night, sir. You too. Get some sleep. Bye bye. Ciao. Ciao. And thanks again to Richard for coming back to the forum. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I want to clear up a few points before I do the usual parting quotes. First, be aware that today we discussed just a small part of his book. We basically discussed how disclosure would take place possibilities there and of course the attempts in the in the past but his book goes much further and if we had had uh, access to Richard I mean if we could discuss for eight more hours we could cover those points like the implications of it how it will be spun um, I mean a, a whole lot of context that we just couldn't cover today we were just stuck on those first points only concerning the disclosure itself but get his book for the very interesting details. Or, or check out or online. I think I've spoken about it here and there. The old bike show interview I mentioned could be one place. When I said to him uh, regarding the, <laughs> I call them TSA. I realize something else is called TSA. Probably not the best thing to call them. TTS. Uh, when I compared people's reaction to children of alcoholics, I don't know if it was clear, but what I meant is, you know, abused children or spouses they get into this hostage it's like the Stockholm syndrome thing this hostage mentality where they attack anyone you know bearer of bad news they attack the the messenger rather than trying to 
applaud a liberating message. It's kind of the same, man. Normal people are jumping to the hating on Edward Snowden or Julian Assange and stuff like that. Just completely ignorant morons who, okay, I don't blame people for not having time to update themselves on everything or being confused and dizzy about the complexities of this world. That's fine. But when they then act on a place of ignorance, that's when it's not fine. So when they've dared to opinionate and judgment call without having looked into stuff, and let's face it, it's most of us. That's really what's uh, keeping us locked up in this dungeon. So uh, until our brothers and sisters wake up, I mean, if not to what's going on, at least to their own limitations, we're going to be defined by the dumbest of us and the majority of us. And we are in the same boat. No man is an island. So, uh, yeah, people react like children of alcoholics. If you try to point out, uh, oh, you you can't be abused like that, you're going to (laughs) get attacked. It's And that's the same dynamic that has allowed the skeptics to run havoc with our contemporary culture for so long. When I mentioned the David Sarida film, I didn't uh, quote the correct title. It is Evidence, the case for NASA UFOs. It should be available online here and there, you know, the usual places if you know how to find them. But beware, it's in two parts. So altogether, I think it's like four hours. I've seen many abbreviated versions out there. You don't want that. You you want the whole show, okay? The footage is awesome, amazing. And his uh, analysis of it is outstanding. So uh, that's that. Last time I had Richard on, by the way, we discussed which presidents were aware. And uh, I believe it's only Jimmy Carter who ever said anything in public about UFOs. Now, uh, I have no illusions that the temp that is the president would disclose anything, but I think there are exceptions to it. Uh, I know Bernie Sanders pledged on Joe Rogan's show that he would disclose it, and I believe he meant it when he said it, but I also believe he would buckle under pressure uh, if he had come to power. Unfortunately, now, (laughs) it's a horrible choice. Trump, who's proven to be... Not, not to be able to break loose from the powers that be on any significant matters. Well, maybe a few symbolic things, uh, but still, it's still the same old, same old. Or Biden, who would be a complete figurehead, empty beggar, empty statue. Nothing will change for the next eight years, unless a certain person who has threatened to join the race, would join the race. And I believe he would probably be the only one who would actually come clean as soon as he learned anything. If he even survived taking office. And I'm, of course, talking about Jesse Ventura. Jesse the body Ventura would disclose. So people, join the choir to pressure him to run. Um, He may 
he may go on to the Greens ticket or the Libertarians. I mean, there's no, not many possibilities. He can't run as an independent because of, long story, you have to have offices in every state and blah, 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 and long preparation. But he could go on to one of those two tickets. And if he does, oh my God, that could be a save for us all in the future. Okay, I'll wrap it up now with a few quotes. There is every bit as much evidence for the existence of UFOs as there is for the existence of God, probably far more. At least in the case of UFOs, there have been countless taped and filmed, and by the way, unexplained sightings from all over the world, along with documented radar evidence seen by experienced military and civilian radar operators. And this is goes way back it was George Carlin who said it in When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Shops? A great number of those working for liberal causes are not only shy but borderline collusive. They want change to happen nicely, and it won't. They want decency to come about without anybody suffering or being embarrassed. And it won't. And most of all, they want to give many of the enemies of open government the benefit of the doubt. And I don't. It's not just a difference of approach. It's a complete schism in our respective philosophy. Ah, he should have said paradigm. You can't go about disclosure in the hope that it won't spoil anybody's dinner said Julian Assange. The great fear that I have regarding the outcome for America of these disclosures is that nothing will change. People won't be willing to take the risks necessary to stand up and fight to change things. And in the months ahead, the years ahead, it's only going to get worse. The NSA will say that because of the crisis, the dangers that we face in the world, some new and unpredicted threat, we need more authority, we need more power, and there will be nothing the people can do at that point to oppose it, and it will be turnkey tyranny, said Edward Snowden. Unfortunately, catastrophes or scandalous disclosures always have to happen before humanity realizes that it is only its own mistakes that have led it into misfortune. These are all the more difficult to rectify, because in the main they have been made by the authorities, who will not commit suicide themselves, but in order to save their own skins, they would rather that all life should perish before they acknowledge their errors. This awesome quote was by Victor Schauberger. And that's it for now. Remember to subscribe and check that you're still subscribed, both on YouTube and our podcast channel. I've been your host, Al. Thank you for your support. Thanks to my team. Until our paths cross again. Be seeing you.
number one,